Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Joseph Campbell, the American writer and teacher who made his mark on the world with his captivating analysis of the hero's journey throughout human existence, writes, The privilege of a lifetime is being who you are. Shot to the heart if ever there was one. Hello, I'm Claire Tonti and welcome to my podcast, Just Make the Thing, a show for people who want to start a thing and keep on making it. My guest today is doing just that. Kristen Cotter is a Melbourne photographer and author who is the creative brains behind the Instagram and Facebook accounts, Melbourne I Love You and Humans of Melbourne. Chris has grown a really impressive community of followers through his photography and his street stall that captures the heart and the faces of the city of Melbourne. Both his wonderfully successful books, Humans of Melbourne and 24 Hours in the Life of Melbourne, were self-published and he regularly can be found selling prints at his stall or running guided tours of the city. More importantly, beyond all his business acumen and success, I think Chris's story is one of following joy of being deeply awake in his own life, of understanding that you only get to do this life thing once, so you better make it count and get adventuring. And for me, his story demonstrates what it means to believe wholeheartedly in the life and contribution you want to make in the world, and then taking the leap, fear and all, and following through. His story made me cry and laugh and want to pack a backpack and go and see the world like I did in my 20s. It also reminded me And when is a better time than Valentine's Day to be reminded of this, of the beautiful, unexpected and all-encompassing adventure that is that crazy little thing called love. Love of another person, of a city, of a coffee, of a sunset, of kindness and love for this wonderful, weird and wacky life we all are trying to navigate together. Here he is, Chris Sincotta on Just Make The Thing. So we met in a funny way, sort of, really, because you're a fan of uh, my husband's stuff. I am. Yeah. I am, and I um I saw him mention you one day, and <laughs> I, I literally, and that was on YouTube when James mentioned you, and I literally Instagrammed you straight away, and because I'm considering doing my podcast, and now mm. I'm going to do my podcast with you guys, and and I was like, I've just got a message, and I actually looked at your page first, because like, I like to vet who I'm uh, going to speak to. <laughs> And I was oh, like, no oh, she seems, she seems fun. And I messaged you immediately and you got back to me really fast too, which I'm always really impressed with. And yeah, then we had a little meeting and it's gone from there. Yeah, it's been so lovely. And I just, I, had, I hadn't seen your content before and it's so incredible. I wanted to ask you first though, what was it like growing up as Chris? Um, different. I'm the second son of a six kid family. Okay. Um, but I was not sporty at all when I was very young. I remember the first time I tried to bounce an AFL football and I was like, well, that makes no sense to me at all. <laughs> well, they're egg-shaped. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It made no sense at all. And like instantly I was like, nah, not doing that ever again. 
And um, so I had an older brother, Joe, and he was extremely sporty and the oldest of a, of the like the entire grandchildren set. So he was kind of like golden child, and I was kind of like just this forgotten about second child, which Aww. was great. Uh, <laughs> actually, in hindsight, I love that fact um, because I was kind of left to my own devices. And but uh, as we as we got a bit older, I did start noticing that I was a bit different to many other people. I guess I just noticed. I guess most, a lot of people go through the same thing when you realize, well, I'm really just an individual person amongst many individual people, and it kind of made me think like, I don't want to be like anybody else. How are you different? I count signposts. <laughs> what do you mean you count signposts? Uh, well, literally when I, I've, I had it, not, not like OCD in a bad way. It was more like we used to drive from Marimbula where I actually, so I was born in Melbourne and then I grew up in Marimbula. We moved up there when I was six years old. So that's about six hours north of Melbourne in New South Wales. So, but we drive back to Melbourne every, every year or so. And so to pass time, I would literally count how many of the white posts I could see in 60 seconds. And I'd do all the math in my head on how many we're seeing per hour. And uh, I used to come up with all kinds of games with numbers. I'm very, I suppose one of my biggest skill sets would be letters and numbers. I'm good with letters and numbers and my math is really good. And it's because of that, I think. I just sat there for hours on end in my own head making games. Wow. Yeah, did that? Did and you felt like that was really different from the people around you? Yeah, when I told people about it, they definitely thought I was strange. Uh, <laughs> I remember telling my uncles and aunties one day about an experience I'd had with. <laughs> this is actually funny. I haven't thought about this in a long time. Um, I'm very much a believer of like <laughs> making something happen, literally just with your mind, like as in like willing it into existence. Mm. And I was a little boy, and I would have been 11, and I was staying over at my uncle Bobby's house. And the Formula One was on. And Michael Schumacher kept on winning every single Formula One. And I kept on thinking to myself, what if I could, like, make him not win? Like, what if I, what if I could, like, <laughs> like, get it out into the world that he shouldn't win just one? Because he won every single one. And I was a really massive uh, David Coulthard fan. And I'm not even into cars, so it's really funny that I liked it. Uh, but that, I remember they went to a commercial break. And I literally thought in my head the words I wanted to hear. And the words were, you wouldn't believe it, but Michael Schumacher's car has failed. And it went back from the break and they literally repeated those words straight back. And I was like, I took a deep breath and I was like, I'm looking around, it's like at 12 o'clock at night because it's always on the other side of the world. And, and I was like, oh my God. I, anyway, I told my auntie the next morning, I was like, I don't think I made it happen, honey, Robin, but <laughs> this happened. And she was like, uh. <laughs> <laughs> Spooky. Yeah, it, it really was. And, but that's kind of what I've done. Ever since is I try to envision something happening, um, normally not somebody crashing a car or yeah. a car breaking down, normally something positive, um, and, and I try to make that, yeah, come to fruition. Wow. Is that a lot of pressure? Uh, in a way. Uh, so I played just a bit of a backstory. When we moved to Marimbula, I actually ended up playing rugby league, um, and I ended up coaching um, the team when I was 21, which was unusual for such a young person mm. to be coaching. And we, were, we made the grand final and I woke up one morning and I did feel the pressure and all that day I got like really anxious and then I tried to envision myself winning the grand final and what would happen. And I went to sleep that night and literally had a dream of the front page of the newspaper and me being on it. And funnily enough, it actually took the pressure off because that's exactly what happened. 
we won the grand final. And I saw the exact same photo on the front page of the newspaper. And I told my roommate at the time, who was my, he was my, um, the captain of my team. I told him, I think we're going to win. I've seen the front page of Tuesday's newspaper and I'm on it holding the shield. And he was like, no way. Anyway, it came out on Tuesday and we both walked down to the news agents together and there it was after we'd won the grand final. So in a funny way, I kind of feel like it takes the pressure off because I really do try to envision what I'm going to see. And because I truly believe that you can, uh, I suppose it's like the secret or whatever they say that thing is, but it's not a secret. It's just, you know, all the way they put it. It's no spooky thing. It's just like if you have intention to do something and you put it out into the world, then every action that you then do after that goes to making that. that. Exactly. So, and then if it doesn't happen, well, then you go again. But if as long as you keep on putting the positive thing into the world that you want to do, I truly believe you can do like literally anything. Mm, I love that because I think a lot of people don't understand that. They kind of look at people making stuff or doing things and think, oh, I wish I could do that, but my life could never be that. And <laughs> that is what is stopping them often totally. from doing that thing. I mean, I all, I do think the flip side of that is though, like I, my body isn't designed to be a gymnast. I could never be a gymnast. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I guess, you know, or win gold medals because I, you know, have physical limitations. So I guess there are parameters around that. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. I suppose anything physical that like, you know, I'm never going to be an NBA basketballer, no matter how much I will it into existence. <laughs> but funnily enough, my brain doesn't tell me to want to be a basketballer neither. Yeah. So, so what is it that you do to work out what it is you want to achieve, like in your internally? Um, good question. I think it's whatever I, I try to aim for, whatever I think will make me happiest in a year from now, from two years from now, from three years from now. So I really wanted to be um, a tour guide overseas. And so a year out, I went for the job and I missed it. Um, and the guy said to me, who told me that I didn't get the job, he's like, you are so close. You were so close. He's like, you were literally like, I can't even tell you. He goes, come back next year. And so then for a year, I envisioned him being there again and him, tell, and him telling me before I left the meeting even that I got the job. And that's exactly what happened. And so I think it's like just if you can envision whatever you want to see like a year away or even like tomorrow and then just go after that and do every action that you can do. It's not just going to happen. Mm. You know, it's not like, oh, I want this to happen and now I'm just going to wait for, you know, this to happen. It's like, I want this to happen and I'm going to put a plan in place to make sure it can happen. And then it might be up to the whim of the gods. But up until that point, if you've done everything that you can do, you can't have any regrets either, which is a great feeling. Yeah. That's what I'm so interested in because it's that plan, right? Because there's there's the person that has a dream of where they want to get to. But then often you can find yourself sitting on the couch with Netflix and crumbs <laughs> on you, jumper. That's still me. <laughs> and then a year, well, that's me too. And then a year away, not have achieved it. Yep. So, so when you wanted to be a tour guide, what did you do between that in that year? I well, I went and travelled. But when I travelled, instead of just travelling and drinking, I studied as well. So I'd have a set routine. So everyone knew not to to leave me alone for two hours a day, where I just study the history of Europe. Um, and that's what happened. So I just kept on studying and making sure that I had all of my European history because that was very important to the job. Uh, and then when we got back for the next year, yeah, it was kind of like every question they asked me, it was just at the tip of my, like, so I made it happen. But I had to put it out into the world that that's exactly what I wanted to happen. I literally told people I was going to get the job before I even had it. And I do that quite often. 
I told people I was going to write a book a long time before I wrote my first book. And I've got it sitting here because I just love it. It's beautiful. <laughs> Thank it's you. so cool. Um, but before I even wrote that, like for years, I was like, yeah, I'll be an author one day. And people would say, what do you mean you'll be an author? I'm like, well, I don't know exactly how or exactly why or what the topic will be, but I will be an author. Mm. Literally. And I had, a, I had a, a mate who he actually believed in everything I did. And he goes, and he goes to me one day, we're about to leave each other. We'd been hanging out for about three months, like together, or just like hanging out overseas and I was leaving him. And he goes to me, you are going to write a book. And I was like, thanks, mate. And he goes, I can already see what see what it's going to be and everything. And he didn't get the title right, but he had, it was kind of correct. Like the idea of it. Yeah. Wow. So I want to take, because I want to ask you about that journey too. Yeah. Again, I always use the word journey and then I think, good. Um, <laughs> so you were growing up in Marimbula. Yep. You felt like you were sort of different mm. um, and you went to high school. Yep. What did you do? Uh, did you study afterwards, after high school? Did you go to yep. uni or anything? I did um, sports coaching, oh. uh, So, which is why I came back and, and took the team over. Uh, so I went to um, Canberra and I studied up there because that was close to home as well. So it was like a two and a half hour drive, so it was nice and close. Um, and then I, I love that, but it wasn't what I wanted to do. It's so interesting that you were that kid who felt like you'd you weren't sporty like the kids around you and then you went into sport. Yeah, it was very different because I found something that was definitely my niche where I, I was I was very good at rugby league um, where I could see myself actually having a future in the game. Unfortunately, my knees didn't agree with me. <laughs> so, oh. but that's okay because when I did my knee, my doctor just said to me, mate, you're going to have to choose life or sport. And I was, well, it's a pretty easy choice. And that's when I started traveling. And when I started traveling was when I really found what I was supposed to do. And I traveled for 12 years, pretty much. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So I traveled from uh, the time I was 21 to the time I was 33. My God. Yeah. That's a huge thing. Yeah. I just kept on following the sun. So I'd come home for the summer because I hate winter. So I'd come home for the summer and then I'd go back over there for the summer. I think every year but one, and when my dad got sick, um, I stayed home, but every year but one, uh, I went overseas. Wow. Is that, what was your very first trip? Uh, I went to Europe uh, and I went on a Kentucky tour, which is when I knew I wanted to be a tour guide. Um, for the first two weeks I was on a tour and then for three months after that, I just traveled around solo, had some amazing adventures. Uh, the very first guy I ever met traveling, his name was Mike. He was from New Zealand. He got onto my airplane and I was nervous. I was I was very young and just like so green and uh, he got on and he's like, hey, mate, how are you going? And I'm like, I'm going really well, thanks. I'm just a bit scared. <laughs> I'm Chris. Yeah, from exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He goes, yeah, basically he's like, so where are you from? And I said, oh, a little town on the south coast of New South Wales. And he was from New Zealand, so the plane was stopping over in Sydney. And he's like, oh, this is great. I can't believe you're going traveling at 21. This is amazing. He goes, I'm 43. I wish I had done it then. This is my first trip overseas too. And I was like, oh, amazing. And he goes, can I give you some tips for traveling, but not really for traveling, more for life? And I was like, yeah, sure. And he goes, wait on, first things first, let's get a cognac. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, and I'm like, oh, I had little, very little money and I had no idea that you got alcohol for free on planes. And I'm like, oh, that's okay. You don't have to do that. And he's like, no, 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 it's free. Everything's free. Don't worry about it, mate. <laughs> so he gets us both a cognac and we sit there and he goes, okay, first things first. If somebody offers you something to eat, as long as you think it's safe, just try it, even if it looks gross. And he goes, I wish I'd tried more stuff. You know, and it's like, it was very much about whenever you got, saw an opportunity, just go for it. 
I thought it was he was a very apt person for me to meet at that time in my life because it was my first trip overseas. I was extremely nervous and extremely scared, but I just knew, don't know why I knew, but I did know that I should be doing it. So it was one of those ones where you know you're going into a room and you're like, oh God, do I want to be here? You're anxious, but you know that's exactly where you should be. That was me getting on that plane. Mm. Yeah. And it made me um made me grow up a lot, a real lot. Probably travel definitely made me who I am today more than anything else. What made you keep going and how did you support yourself? Because 12 years <laughs> is a long time. Yeah, so I'd come home and work and then when I was over there, I would work as well. So after the first three years, um, I, I'd come home, work for the summer, save up enough money, go again, go and experience something different. Um, and then I was like, okay, I'm going to go for a job now. And that's when I went for the Kentucky job. Mm. So I got a Kentucky job um, taking tours around Europe and then I was based in Barcelona for a couple of years, um, which was amazing, an amazing city. Uh, so I kept on getting little jobs. And like, so if it was, was going to be a summer over there where I was just traveling, I'd get a job at a hostel or a job at a bar and never any prior plans. I'd just go there and say, hi, I'm here. And I never missed it. Like I, every job I went for when I went into a bar or something like that, I always got it. So I was always very confident I could just go back and get one. Um and yeah, I feel like that's like, I feel like when you're in those kinds of experiences where you're kind of made to do something that's uncomfortable, mm. um, like approaching someone to have a chat, uh, where you've got to really in the first 10 seconds of meeting them, make them feel like they've known you for 10 years. Mm. That's, that's an important skill to have. And these days with what I do with going up to some, a total stranger and asking them to tell me their life story, uh, it's come in handy many, many times since. And, yeah, so that's how I'd support myself. i just go and get a job. or And then eventually I ended up um, being working for it. So Kentucky, I can say this openly, Kentucky is not a great company to work for. Mm-hmm. They uh, take advantage of young kids who just want to travel. But that's understandable. You get to go and live a pretty cool life. But then I ended up working for another tool company called Backroads, who are the most amazing company. And I worked with them for three years and it was probably the best three years of travel I ever did. And I was working. So that says a lot where they just looked after us so well. And it was basically taking um, cycling tours around the world. So I worked in North America and all throughout Europe and New Zealand. And it was, yeah, they were an amazing Mm -hmm. company. So, and with that company, I was actually able to save money while I traveled. So I literally came home with a, a small deposit, you know, like for a house or whatever. Not that I use it for that at the time, but. Um, they're an amazing company to travel with. And there's those options all over. Like a lot of people go onto the touring boats, onto the yachts or whatever. Um, but yeah, if anybody wants to go and work for an amazing company and like learn a lot yeah. about life, they're amazing. During that 12 years, are there moments to you that stand out that pivoted you in a certain direction or that you were just like, I'm going to remember this forever? That was so incredible. Yes, for sure. Uh, there's one in particular. Um, so the way, cause I traveled a long time ago cause I'm extremely old. Um, <laughs> How old are you? 37. That's, I'm 33. Yeah, Come on. I, but it's before internet age, you know, like when I first traveled, like before really internet age anyway, before it being so prevalent. So the first time I traveled, I spoke to my mum like three times, um, and which devastated her. Uh, but basically the plan was for them. Um, even internet banking back then was terrible. So mum and dad were just depositing money into my account every week. Aww. But then one week they forgot. So they were taking money from my savings, putting it in there. Um, and so I was actually like homeless and moneyless in Prague and then Czech Republic for about eight days. <laughs> so I actually, I literally slept in rose bushes. Um, 
And uh, that taught me a lot. It taught me to be very humble no matter what. And it also taught me how to rip off McDonald's. (laughs) (laughs) So because when you've got no money, that's what you do. So I'd literally walk into a McDonald's and I'd grab an empty... (laughs) I'm not proud of this. Uh, I'd grab an empty cup. And then I'd go and stand at the counter until it became awkward that I was standing there for so long. And they'd eventually say to me in check, are you okay? Have you been looked after? And I'd say, I've got my Coke. I'm just waiting for my burger and fries. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah. What burger was it? And I'd say Big Mac. And he's like, oh, okay. So I did that all over Prague because that was the only way that I was going to be able to eat. Um, but that kind of, when I got back home eventually, years or years later, um, when I started Humans in Melbourne, um, there's a place in the city called The Soup Place, which... Basically, if I'd have had that um, as an avenue to eat, I wouldn't have had to worry about it. So they basically just feed everybody for free based on the donations of people from their city. And I've helped really promote that. And that's why we've fed like 55,000 people in the last three years based on humans in Melbourne, which is, you know, and and so when I give my tours on the weekend, I take tours on the weekends and um, people, as we get to the soup place, I tell that story and it's the proudest thing to be able to say that you've had any kind of hand in someone, you know, helping feed 55,000 serves of, to, to people who are less fortunate. Yeah. yeah. So that moment, probably above all others, and not having the money and being so scared, so worried, and my parents freaking out because it was a ended up being like a, a long weekend in Australia. So the banks weren't going to open to let them get back in to, to do it, but it was like an extra long weekend because it was like an Easter into an Anzac Day or something like this, and I was like freaking out. And then the money took like ages to clear back then. It wasn't like straight away like it is today. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, that ended up being a, a long time. But I remember at the end of it being so happy, like yeah. like such so many lessons learned. What did you do at night? So you slept in rose bushes. Did you have a sleeping bag? Uh, no, it would have been July. So it was quite warm. Yeah, at nighttime I, would, um, I had two mates who were staying there as well. They were from Ireland and they'd offered me money. They were like, we can pay for your hostel. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I was too proud. I was like, no, 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 no. Don't worry about it. I've got this. Um, so I just sleep outside, outside the hostel in these bushes that were there. And then every morning I get woken up because a truck would go past and they water the um the flowers. <laughs> um, so I'd wake up and then I'd sneak upstairs to their hostel room or they'd come and get me and then I'd have a shower. So I was able to have a shower at least. And they had my bag. So, oh, so that, you that felt like, like your belongings were yeah, safe. I was least. I was safe there. Oh, I think, yeah, my big bag was upstairs, but I had my little bag with me for a pillow. So you can imagine how that affects you. And you get yeah. to see, because I saw other homeless people mm. as well. Who don't have mum and dad back in exactly. New South Wales. Exactly. Privileged bloody existence of a young yeah. man, you know. Yeah. And, so. just, and with mates that will hold your bag for you in the shower. Exactly. What did it teach you about human beings? We are mostly, for the very most part, really good. If you give somebody the opportunity to be bad or good, and it's an even opportunity, they will choose good 99% of the time. Wow. We don't want to be bad. I just think some people go down the wrong path or sometimes people feel like they don't have a choice so they they act in not the best way or they get pressured into something and that's why certain things happen. Um, but I think for the most part, we are a good species. I truly believe that. That's so beautiful. And I think at this time in the world, it's really nice to hear that because mm. I think we can forget, we can kind of other everybody and think that, you know, you know, humans aren't necessarily always good. So, yeah. Unfortunately, just with the system we have at the moment, I feel like, you know, one person can have an effect over a million and the million let it happen mm. because that's just the system. 
and not that I'm calling for a revolt, <laughs> but uh, we could do a coup. Um, <laughs> but I, I truly believe that. Like if you look at, you know, anything like, you know, the, the Koch brothers or whoever it is that's up, up above making all the decisions that overall the world, it's always a couple of people that affect so many. Mm. Yeah, you know, this is why, you know, we will never have a, a big revolt like, you know, the French Revolution or anything like that, um, I think in the Western world anyway. But then sometimes I think maybe we will because the good outweigh, outweighs the bad people. And I do think there are some really bad people, mm. I really do, who are only caring about themselves or about money or whatever. Mm. And I think people just get lulled in because we've got such a high standard of living these days mm. for everybody pretty much that then you forget that like it's it's a massive inequality at the moment. Yeah, around the world. Yeah. I was going to ask you about that too actually because travelling so much you do get to see so many different cultures and mm different ways that people live what has that taught you about um happiness and fulfillment yeah well my family uh is italian so we come from a little island above sicily called selena um and they don't have much there like and my so my grandparents came over here in the 50s and so going back there and living with them for months on end uh taught me that you could like be happy with a garden in your backyard and going to the supermarket and getting just the bare necessities and yeah the, yeah possessions and stuff like that uh very much to them uh not even a thought you know my my, my auntie Grazietta uh who I stay with when I'm there she she doesn't have anything she just has her house which she's so proud of but the thing she's most proud of is her garden and her backyard and that's what makes her happy um or if you go to I was in one of the most beautiful places I've ever been was in India um, down south, and the name escapes me. Morgem was the name of the little town, um, and the most beautiful sunset I've ever seen in my life was in that little town. And the people there have nothing like you know they're living in little huts, but they just seem so splendidly happy. Mm. And that's kind of. But I mean, I do always look at the flip side of things, and I try to put myself in other people's vision. Is it is it that ignorance is bliss? You know, if you gave them a big house with, you know, everything, all of the things, would they love that and say, I never want to go back to that little hut again? I actually do think sometimes ignorance is bliss because when you when you don't think about anything else and you get used to that, you're like, well, this is what it is. So this is great. Yeah. You know? I actually agree with that. I sometimes think the world at the moment, we kind of are so inundated with so much information and our brains aren't designed to know mm-hmm. that much. Absolutely. Which sounds counterintuitive because I do believe in education, but... I sometimes think we're just so overloaded with all this stuff we can't control, you yeah. know. Yeah, it's in, it's intense. But, okay, whew, we're solving uh, the world's no, problems. Right? Um, I want to ask you now um, how you got to be back in Melbourne after 12 years of travelling. Uh, so I came back one summer and um, I had actually broken up or well, my, my ex-girlfriend had broken up with me while we were overseas. Heartbreaking. Uh, it was okay. I just, for the yeah, best. For the best in the end <laughs> because I came home and <laughs> I, I don't know, I must have seemed a bit sad to my little brother Dylan, but um, he said to me, mate, listen, I know you're upset. but And I was like, mate, I'm fine. Don't worry about it. And he's like, no, no, you look upset. Trust me. And I'm like, right here, mate. And he says to me, but there's a new thing. It's called Tinder. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, it's called what now? What is it? And he's like, and I'm like, oh, is it online dating? And I'm like, are you trying to get me? And he goes, no, 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 no. It's not online dating. He goes, everyone's. And I'm like, I'd never even heard of it at this stage. Anyway, I was like, all right, I'll give it a go. So I went on one date and 
that girl was lovely, but that was the end of that. Like it was just like a half an hour coffee or whatever. And then I went on my second date, which is literally five years ago today. Really? Yes. Oh, I love that. <laughs> it's like the day before Valentine's yeah, Day, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it oh, is. Two days yeah. before. Yeah. Our first kiss was actually at uh, 11.45 the day before Valentine's Day. So there you oh. go. But we actually met at two o'clock uh, five years ago. Uh, so, so she was my second person I ever went on a, on a Tinder date with and she will be the girl that I will marry eventually. And she's the one, she's the reason I stayed. So I love basically how it kept me here, uh, because of her, everything happened that happened and where we are now is very much because of her. Uh, she's far, far, far my better half. Like, <laughs> By so far, it's so funny. Whenever I introduce her, I'm, I'm like, you know, this is obviously my much better half. And like, I just roll my <laughs> eyes because I'm like, people must look at us and think, why is she with him? Because oh, <laughs> she's she's just, yeah, she's the best. Your um, whole face is just like <laughs> lit up like a light bulb. Uh, she's pretty special. Yeah, she must have, you must have just, was it one of those instant connection things where uh, you just fell head over heels? No. Oh, really? No. So... I remember, I remember when we first met. I, I, I was really cheap, and I took her to Bimbo's on Brunswick Street <laughs> for four dollar pizzas. And I pay, oh yeah, I paid for everything because I'm a gentleman. Um, but uh, I remember after the, after having our little meeting, I thought she might be a little bit upper than me, like a little bit too. You know, she was proper and um, posh or something. No, no, not not posh. Uh, more like um, I, I can't even explain it. I can't even explain. I thought, I thought, oh, maybe not, maybe yeah. not. But apparently, she was thinking, "Wow, I found the guy." <laughs> yeah. <gasps> oh, wow. So, but what happened was, um, so I was like, kind of like fifty-fifty. Or maybe we'll see each other again. Um, but I, then I went and met up with a mate, and he's just so just funnily that night she was going out on Smith Street in Collingwood, and his dad was playing on Smith Street in Collingwood across the road from where she was going. I was like, oh, mate, it's going to look like I'm stalking her because she told me she was going there. So I, I actually messaged her on, on Tinder and I said, um, just so you know, if you see me at all, I'm not stalking you. My mate's dad's playing across the road. And eventually we met up again at another bar later that night with my mate and I, was, I felt more comfortable. And I was like, oh, wow. Yeah, no, she's a, uh, wow, okay. I was, I was, uh, I read it wrong before. Maybe I was nervous or she was nervous. And I was like, okay, yep. And then, yeah, had our first little kiss and, kind of gone on since then oh that's so romantic mm. i love that so that's a big um kind of leap to take to stop traveling and stay mm. in melbourne what what did you have to do to do that i guess to make yeah. that decision well i didn't know that it was like i actually traveled one more time afterwards so i did say to her when i met her just so you know i'll probably take off soon because that's what i always said to everybody so nobody had ever had any other expectations of me mm. but that i would leave <laughs> Which is terrible, but it just was the lifestyle no, that honest. I lived. Yeah, it's just the lifestyle yeah. I lived at the time. And she was like, no worries. And that was when I went to India. Um, so I went to India then, and while I was over there, I just couldn't stop thinking about her. And I was like, what if that's what if that's the girl? Like, what if that's the girl? And I never felt that about any of my um, ex-girlfriends. But for her, I was like, God, she might be the girl. So when I came back, I actually came back from uh, India and Italy, and... Yeah, we went out on a date, and on April 7th, she took me into Brunswick Bound uh, bookstore, <laughs> and I remember the moment I thought, oh, God, I love her, uh, literally. So I've actually, I've got my books are in Brunswick Bound now, and I've told them that story, and uh, they loved it. I was like, this is the first time I ever knew that I loved my better half, so that, that store holds a special place in my heart. 
But I, I felt like, I don't know, it just felt right. And that was, I kind of always knew that I would stop traveling when it felt right. Mm. Um, that I would stop traveling as much as I did anyway. And uh, yeah, it definitely felt right. And she just got me like nobody else had. And she's patient with me and she understands that I'm crazy um, and that I'll get focused on something. And But if I say I'll do something, then I'll do it. And that if kind of like the whole thing as before with seeing myself in the grand final or whatever, like that if I envision something and I want it to come true for us, it's come true. Did and you envision like a, a girl or love? Oh, like yeah, that? yeah. Like she is pretty much what I would have. Yeah, like, yeah, when my family met her, they were like, oh, well, yeah, this makes sense. <laughs> like it's pretty much the girl I described my entire life. Um, wow. And she's so much smarter than me and just, which I love. Mm. I love that she's actually smarter than me, like in, in, a, in a books way. Like she's got me covered. Streetwise, I've got her covered. Uh, but books wise, she's definitely got me covered. And she's just, she's everything, she's everything I would ever want in a partner. And she's everything I would ever want in somebody who will be the mother of my children as well. Oh, yeah. oh well, this is such a romantic <laughs> episode. It's very well timed for Valentine's Day. Ah, true story. Yeah. Um, so you found her and <laughs> where did then Melbourne I Love You come from? I remember you said something to me when we met that you needed to fall in love with Melbourne to stay. Yeah, that's right. Is that where it started? Yeah, exactly. So uh, after a honeymoon period with myself and Candace, who's my better half, um, <laughs> she said to me after about three months, because she comes from a well-to-do family and I don't at all. Um, and she said to me after three months, so what do you think you're going to do for a job now? Kind of nervously. And I was like, ah, oh, funnily enough, I've been thinking about that. I think I'm going to become a photographer. And she was, she literally just said, you can't just be a photographer. Are you going to go back to school? And I was like, no, I'm just going to take some photos and I'm going to sell them on the streets of Melbourne. Mm. And I was like, I'm re- I said to her at the time, I'm really falling for this city. I think I can take some good photos here. Now, I wasn't a professional photographer at all. What had happened was before that, um, when I was overseas, after two years from me finishing traveling, my mum actually said to me, listen, I love that you're living your dream. I love that you're going out there and making all this happen, but I have no idea who you are anymore in terms of what you do in your everyday life. And I'd love to know more. And I was like, no worries, no worries. We can, we can fix this. I said, how about this? I'll make you this thing called a Facebook page. And then every day on my Facebook page, I'm going to post a photo that's just for you. And it's going, to rep- it's going to be a photo that represents my day. So I ended up doing that for two years, every single day. And no matter what happened, like even the day that uh, I broke up with my, with my ex-girlfriend, like I still posted a photo that represented my day that day. Um, and what that did was it allowed me to develop my eye. And I didn't even know it was happening at the time. But then when I got back to Melbourne, I started taking photos. And uh, anyway, after I had that conversation with Candace, I... I called the city and I said, is there any way that I'm allowed to sell photos on the streets of Melbourne? And they said, absolutely not. You can't just sell stuff on the streets. You need to get a permit, but like it's not a performance. So, But they said, but there is this other option that we've got for you. There's these little stores that you can rent. I was like, okay, I'll try that. So I had a little trial in a store and everybody told me I was crazy. Everybody said, who's going to buy photos off the street? <laughs> and I said, I would. I'd buy photos off the street when I travelled. I would have loved to have met somebody who was the photographer who had taken these photos. And if they were affordable, I would have bought them. Because I'd gone to buy a photo for my wall at home. 
and a little A4 photo was going to cost me $45. And I was like, that's that's too much for a traveler because when you're traveling, you're only thinking about, you know, oh, I'd love to get something, but maybe that's too expensive. So I thought I went into the cafe that I went to every day and there was a couple of traveling girls in there and I had my photos there and they were looking at them and they were like, oh, these are really lovely. And I was like, oh, thank you. Would you pay for these? And they were like, yeah. I was like, what would you pay? And they said, $20 or maybe two for 30. And that's literally still the price of my prints now at the store because I feel like that's like, that's the, if you can pay, get something really. And I normally give them, if they're a traveler, I give them for $10 each now because uh, I want them to have them. Um, and so that was it. Like I just kind of made the thing and uh, got all the stuff together. I started my business with about 350 bucks. Um, wow. I got two trestle tables from Kmart, which I still have. <laughs> <laughs> and I, um, I brought a whole lot of prints um, and I worked out a way that, could, that I could package them at a, at a really good uh, you know, expense rate for me that would still be, look great. And it worked. And in three weeks, I proved to my better half, my family and everybody else that it would work and work really well. And I remember calling my dad after a week and I said to him, mate, you wouldn't believe it. I've actually profited about $2,000 this week. Whoa! And he was like, huge. he was like, wait on. This. So my dad is a businessman, um, and he's like, wait on, mate. You haven't profited two thousand dollars. And I'm like, no, I have. I've, I've definitely profited two thousand dollars, mate. And he's like, all right, talk me through it. I explained to him hey, this, 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 and this is my expenses. This, 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 this. If you go this and this, and he's like, oh, oh my god. <laughs> and uh, after the three weeks, I I made enough that I was like, okay, I can do this. But then uh, that was only a three week trial on the streets and I, I really wanted to do it, but the city, that was just, it was temporary. Mm. So I had to wait five months for the next little trial that was available. Uh, but I said to them, when's the next, when's the permanent cylinders coming up for, for rent? And uh, they, they were like in November. And I was like, that's what I'll do. So for the next nine months, I just walked. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today walk the streets of Melbourne um, and take photos and get myself ready for when those permanent cylinders were ready. But in the meantime, I made Melbourne I Love You and Humans in Melbourne. So Melbourne I Love You is my Instagram page. Um, and back then, I couldn't believe that name still existed as a, as a username that I could actually grab. And I just thought, if I just take really pretty photos of Melbourne and share other people's photos of Melbourne, then the page will naturally grow. And maybe if I can get up to three or 4,000, that would be amazing. Um, and the page just went ballistic as soon as I opened it and uh, so many people followed straight away, which was really great. Uh, so Melbourne, I love you, obviously. I, I'm a Melbourne Demons football fan as well, so it's a natural, uh, <laughs> natural double, double entendre, theme, really, yeah. yeah. Um, but then in the in the first three-week trial that I did um, for the city, a lot of people would sit with me next to me at my store and they just chat with me about their life. And I remember going home to Candace one day and saying to her, there's something in this. Like if I told these stories on Facebook, people would love it. Like some of the stories I've heard, you wouldn't believe it. 
there was one guy in particular who had lost everything and uh, he was trying to make his way back to a good living with art by being a, a, an artist, uh, a drawing on the street. And I was like, I think people would love this. And Candace said to me, you mean like humans of New York? And I was like, oh, I don't know humans of New York. I'd never seen humans of New York, but she showed me the page and I was like, yeah, like this, except with more pretty photos of the city. So people would remember how lucky we are to live in Melbourne. Mm. And that's when I created Humans in Melbourne. Uh, so I just tell human stories from the street and uh, it all kind of came about in a bit short three or four month period, both pages, and, and they just both kind of grew and grew and grew slowly. Um, but they allow me to, to show the best of Melbourne to everybody. And, you know, I, I really love, I love like, you know, the feel-good stories. They're just so nice to hear and to write and then to listen back to later on, it's 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 always so nice to to remember those stories and yeah, manage to help a few people with it as well, which is always great. Mm. And yeah, it's kind of a, a love note to Melbourne is what my page is really. Oh, I love that. Can you tell me about Luke? So, uh, Luke was a guy who uh, he sold bracelets on the street. He'd recently become homeless, uh, but he didn't want to ask anybody for anything for nothing. So he taught himself how to make loom bracelets when they were a big thing a few years ago. I remember walking past him and just thinking, he's not asking for anything for free. He's happy to work for his money, even if it's only a few bucks. Yeah, so I'd walk walk from work and I'd see Luke. And so after a few times of saying hello, it was probably two months actually of like every day, hey, buddy, how you going? How's things? And he went for Collingwood, so we'd always rib each other about our football teams. Um, When we became very fast, fast friends. And then one day he was gone. I didn't see him for two weeks and I was devastated. I thought, oh no, the worst has happened. But then uh, two weeks later I saw him and he was holding a big big issue in his hand and he was selling the big issue and uh, and he was he was looking well. He was like, yeah, I'm not selling the bands anymore. I've got a job with the big issue. I think I'm on the right track. And I was like, fantastic. I said, listen, I run this Facebook page. Um, if you ever want to tell me your story, I'd love to let the world know about you and he was like yeah i'd love to so he's like i said you understand that i'd I'd want to go deep and he said you can get as deep as you need to mate i don't want anyone to go anyone to go down the same track as what i did and i was like oh okay this is going to be this is going to be intense uh intense so he told me his story about drugs and the army and just going down the wrong path in life and how he ended up on the street and i told his story on the page and he got so much support so much beautiful support. We ended up furnishing an apartment for him. Um, and he was really, like, I counted him amongst my best friends for, for two years. Uh, and then yeah, a couple of years went by. And we, like, once again, saw him every single day. But it just became like, hey, buddy, how you going? Like seeing any other friend. And then one day he wasn't at his normal spot on Collins Street. And then the next day he wasn't there. And the next day he wasn't there. And the next day he wasn't there. So I started calling everybody. I called the big issue and I'm like, they couldn't tell me anything because I wasn't direct family. And eventually through friends of friends, I found out where he was. He was in hospital with um, with pneumonia. Um, and yeah, uh, after two weeks, I ended up speaking to somebody who told me that he was in a coma. And I was, I was devastated. I was like, oh God, they're like, yeah, we're not sure if he's going to wake up. But he did. He did wake up. And it was right around the time I was releasing my first book. And he was in it, of course, uh, because his story is one of the great stories. Um, 
And then I got a call from his sister one day who I'd never even spoken to, but I'd left my number there for somebody just in case somebody could pass to a member of the family and just said, listen, I'm his good friend. He was estranged from his family at the time. So I was quite shocked to hear from his sister and they had no idea where he'd gone up until that point. Um, but his sister called me and he's like, Luke's awake and the only person he's asking to see is you. And <laughs> I was so happy that he was awake. I was, I was, I cried. I remember crying. I was in my car crying. And I was like, no worries at all. Oh, um, I'm busy uh, for the rest because it was late in the afternoon. So I'm busy today, but I'll, I'll come in tomorrow. Uh, and the next day something happened and I couldn't go in. And then Friday came around. And I got a call from his sister again in the morning. Now, she told me on the first call that he was doing well and that he was going to be fine. You know, everything was okay. Don't stress. If you can't get in today, it'll be fine. I was like, no worries. If I can't, if I can't make it in, I'll definitely I'll be going Friday. So I was going to the city. I had to drop something off at my stall and then I was going to the hospital. And she called me on my way and I was on Footscray Road. And she said to me, Luke, Luke's just passed away. And I was devastated. I had his book all wrapped up because I wanted to show him his page in the book, show him how great he looked and, you know, just like sit and just, you know, excuse my language, but just talk shit with him. That's all I wanted to do. Uh, but he, he'd had, he'd, something had happened on his lungs and he went from being very stable and fine and talking to everybody and then three minutes later he was gone. Um. I became really good friends with his family afterwards. They wanted to know all about his life for the last three years because they had no idea. And I, I told them what I knew. Um, I learned some stuff about him and ended up speaking at his funeral. And, uh, yeah, like he he was the kind of guy. So every single day, every single day, he would say hello to everybody. So say you were walking past him. And he wasn't trying to sell you anything. That was the thing, even though he had the big issues. Every person that walked past, morning, man. How you going? Have a great day. Hey, mate, how you doing? You have a great day, okay? To everybody. And never that it was intrusive. So when I told Luke's story the first time, so many people already knew him because in the short time that he'd been with the big issue, he'd got to know so many people. When I told everybody that he'd passed, no, well, actually, I did do a story when he was in hospital um, before he passed away and, and so many people on the page knew it. I think that, I mean, the page at the time was probably about 150,000 people and so many people knew him, so many comments wondering where he'd been, how they've missed their morning dose of Luke because he became such a big part of that little strip of Melbourne. Um, and then when he passed away, it was, yeah, devastation on all fronts and... Uh, but my second book is dedicated to him because he didn't get to see the first one because he just wanted everybody to have one great day and my second book is about one day in Melbourne. So mm. that's why it's dedicated to Luke. He was one of the really great people that like didn't want anything from anybody and just wanted everyone to be happy. Yeah. I, I don't know what to say because I got really emotional. Uh, <laughs> I'm so sorry that you didn't get to share that first book with him. Yeah. I don't have many regrets, but uh, that's mm. one of my regrets. Mm. That's one of my regrets, not getting to the hospital sooner. But I bet he's up there somewhere. Oh, he'd Definitely. Be up, he'd, he'd be up there. I actually thought about him when Collingwood made the grand final last year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cheering from the best seat in the house, yeah, actually, exactly. really up there. Exactly. Yeah. What was your first book called? Uh, Humans in Melbourne. 
just straight out humans straight in out. Melbourne. Yeah, cool. uh, made sense, and yeah, it was really well received, and that's why I backed up another one. <laughs> yeah, less than six months later. It's so awesome. It's twenty four hours in the life of Melbourne. So you really envisioned this book happening. Yeah. How did you do it? Because you didn't get a publishing deal, right? No, no, no. Well, I had somebody come to me in between my first book and my second book, but that first book, how did that? Oh, the, fir- the first book was literally just, that was my biggest dream was a book my whole life. I remember I was 12 years old. I was in the National Library of Australia and a lady there said, if any, anybody in Australia who prints a book gets to have their book in the National Library of Australia, will we keep it forever? And I thought to myself, oh my gosh, that is like the best thing ever. Like even at 12, I was like, that's a legacy right there. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have a book. So um, it just seemed natural, like the nat- natural progression of what I was doing that eventually there'd have to be a book where all my stories and all my photos could go. Uh, so at first, when I first released, so the way it worked was I literally put out into the um, Facebook community, does anyone know a book designer? I found an amazing designer, Grace West, um, and we worked on the book. And then I thought maybe if I could sell 500 copies, that would be amazing. Like that would be such a win. So... I put it out to my page, hey, I'm going to write a book on all the stories and all the everything I've done. And and the first night, more than 500 copies went. <laughs> In the first hour, I was like, I was like, oh my gosh, this is this is silly. Um and I felt that that's when I felt a lot of pressure. <laughs> because because uh with the books, what I do is if people get the book in the pre-sale, they actually get their name in the book. Mm. So it means their name goes into the National Library as well which is, you know, there's something cool about that, especially as a gift for somebody else. Uh, so the first book, yeah, went really well. And and the thing is about a publisher is that they live in the year 1999 before the internet it was really prevalent because they think that that you need them more than you do, especially if you have a big audience and you're willing to go and actually make the thing yourself. Because if you can actually take, take it, you know, by the scruff of the neck and do it yourself and follow up with, you know, a printer and a, and a book designer and, you know, just making sure you get a good editor in, then you can make it yourself. And you don't actually, the only thing they're really good for would be like publicity. Um, and so, yeah, I actually had a chat with a publisher recently that where I basically said to them, I'm sorry, but y- y- what you're asking for is too much for what you'll for what, what you're, you're able to, yeah, for what you're able to yeah. deliver on the other end, and mm. and and they were quite shocked that I'd said no because they're a big publisher. But I was like, well, you know, they want a lot of control as well, and that's the other thing I think is when you're making something, it's got to stay your, for lack of a better word, vision. You know, you've seen it in your head. You know what you want it to be, and as soon as someone else comes in and says, oh, okay, that's nice, but not not what we're going for doesn't make sense anymore to me. I like stuff to be to be mine. I like that when I look at something I'm like, yes, that's what that's what I saw, you know, that's what I envisioned before I even uh it came to fruition. So, uh, I think uh, I think a lot of people who want to write a book think that a publishing deal is the only way to go. And for some people maybe it is. Uh but I have a friend who wrote a book last year. And she messaged me because she was with a publisher and she messaged me and said, Chris, what's your, what's your deal with like what you do? So I explained how my system works in terms of, you know, percentages and everything. And I said, what's yours? And she goes, I get 10% after all the costs and everything else are gone. 
And I was like, so of your $50 book, you go home with $5. And she goes, no, of my $50 book, I go home with $4.40, $4.45 because of GST mm. or something like that. I was like, yeah. oh, yes. dear. And in my system, basically, if someone buys a book from me, they buy it from me and 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 90% of the money goes to either me or my my designer or, or whoever. Um mm. So it's kind of like the the flip deal. And yeah. if you've got a big base of followers especially, then it makes it a lot easier, yeah. obviously, because you can get the word out there. Um, do you have to take the chance, though, of outlaying money? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so you do have to take that leap, right, yeah. and that risk. Well, that's why I did the pre-sale, though. Ah, oh, that's clever. Yeah, so, like, the pre-sale paid for the book. And then whatever was happened after that was, like, an you know, uh, just a bonus. Mm-hmm. Um, so... That's that's the thing. But, I mean, it's still a leap because, like, you've still got to try and judge how many books you're going to sell. And I remember <laughs> when I ordered my first amount of books, I was like, oh, I could have these in five years. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, that's a that's a reality of, of having books. Like, and, you know, yeah. books don't, if you're the one doing it, they sit with you, not in a publishing house somewhere. Yeah. So, but my first book was gone within the first, really, the first year. And the second one will be gone within the first year. And so for me, that's perfect timing. I don't want to have them much longer than that or any shorter than that because it's just, you know, it's kind of in terms of a, if you look at it as a business model, in terms of a business model, it's it's um, passive income yeah. because the book's there and it's done. And like, so somebody yesterday ordered 10, so there's 10 books that go out. And But that's not even, I haven't had to think about that. Everyone knows the book's out there, so if they want them, they'll... They'll yeah. let me know. And it's not like they've got an expiry. No, no, exactly. They're beautiful. Yeah. They're sitting in boxes and as soon as you take out a fresh one, it's gorgeous and and they look really pretty. So, you know, uh, they're great. I had, who was it yesterday? Oh, a company yesterday came to me and ordered, yeah, they ordered 10. So I went and dropped them off and signed them all for them. And I mean, it's such a nice feeling when somebody wants to buy anything from you. Yeah. You know, like you think <laughs> about it, like you make something and then somebody's willing to put their heart earned down and say, you know, I yeah, I, I value what you've done. Here's my hard-earned money. I, thank you for making that. And my, my reaction is always an emotional one. It's always like, thank you so much. Like, thank you so, so much. It's still yeah. like such a shock to me sometimes when people come to the store and you never pick it. Like there's sometimes at my store. So I've got a store you know, in the city on the corner of Birkin Swanson. And sometimes I'm sitting there and people walk up and I'm like, oh, they're, they're judging my photos. They think they're terrible, you know, like, and it could be like a big, gruff guy. Yeah. And I'm always like, oh, jeez, what's he going to say? And I swear 99,000 times out of 100,000 times, it's like, hey, mate. Hi, how are you going? I love your Facebook page, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for all the stories. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, thank you so much. He goes, I really love your photos, actually. I'll I'll grab two for 30. You know, something like that happened on the weekend. That's this big, big guy with tattoos and no hair. And I was like, and he goes, I really love the story about the dog the other day. I hope they find it, you know. And I was like, yeah, mate, I think think we're on the right track there, you know. Like, so it's so, I suppose the only real is humbling. Like, it really does humble you because you're like, you have a certain responsibility to these people to actually deliver really great stories mm-hmm. as well, and you want to. Yeah. You know, you want to give them something great to, to read or great to see, make their morning just a little bit better. I posted a photo this morning of some hot air balloons floating over the city, and, you know, I know that like 40,000 people have seen that, you know. So crazy. And it's so crazy. Yeah. 
It really yeah. is. And, and you've made that person's morning when they're trudging along. Exactly. You know? Exactly. It's actually something I'm trying to focus on more this year is posting in the morning for people who are on their way to work just so they have something to see that's like, you know what, I still I might have to go to work and maybe they don't love their job, but they get something beautiful to see. Yeah. It strikes me that you're look, looking at your work or your books or your Instagram account and Facebook, you, you're stepping into the world through the lens that you see it. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah. And it brings a bit of magic into what can sometimes feel trudgy. You know yeah. how life can, life can be brutal and hard <laughs> completely? Yeah. Is that innately you? Like, do you see the good in everything? Uh, yeah. So a story about that side of my personality is when I went for this job with Backroads, I had literally had to – so this is one of those ones where I saw it and had to go for it. I had to fly myself to Canada – they guaranteed me an interview. They guaranteed me nothing else. Wow. So it's an expensive plane ticket. It was $3,500 then when I did it because I actually went through uh, England at the time. But anyway, I went there and I, I got through the first part and then I met a great man named Chuck. And Chuck said to me, he's an American guy, and he's like, you're very happy. And I'm like, yes, I am. And he's like, why are you so happy? And I was like, I'm here. This is exactly what I want to be doing. And he's like, are you always this happy? And I'm like, pretty much. I do like to look on the bright side of life. And he goes, do you think you'll be this happy after a year with us? And I said, no, I think I'll be a lot happier. And and he was like, all right, we're going to give you a go. So like that was like my chance to go into the training. And and, and a year later, so it's a weird system. Backroads, uh, the leaders get scored when you take a tour. And um, I had a 9.97 <laughs> out of 10. And every, pretty much every comment was like, he's just such a happy guy. Like, but it's more, I don't think it's that I'm happier than anybody else. It's just more that I like, I like to look on the bright side of everything. Like yeah. I go for the Melbourne Demons Football Club. <laughs> we have had a long and distinguished uh, era of not doing much. But if right. anybody said anything bad about the Melbourne Demons Football Club, I'd have words because I'd be like, that's, you know. That, that's my team. They're yeah, my peeps. Exactly. Like it doesn't matter to me that, I mean, it does matter. That's a lie. But you know what I mean? Like, I, I love the team no matter what. Like, I, I love to look on the brighter side of life. There are so many worse things that could have happened than mm-hmm. the situation. That, no matter how bad your situation is in 99% of the cases, there are so many worse things that could have happened. You could have just received the worst phone call. Mm-hmm. You know, you could have just broken your leg. You could have done anything, done anything, done anything. It just goes through my head. Like, no matter what happens, I'm like, well... But this could have happened and that would have been worse. That puts perspective on my situation, which is like, well, this is actually, it's bad, but it's not that bad. So let's not worry about it. Let's just get on with it, deal with it, put around a a system to make sure we can deal with whatever the situation is at the time and move on. Are there things that you do to keep your mindset in that way or is it just innately you? Like do you do stuff consciously around technology or exercise or... Mm. Good question. Um, I definitely do not exercise enough anymore. <laughs> I literally was driving down a street towards to the street towards my house uh, a few days ago, and me and Candice were watching a man run. Uh, he was running uh, the same uh, way that we were going, and I said to you, "See, watch that guy for five seconds." We watched him for five seconds. I said, "That amount of running is more than I've done since I met you." <laughs> And literally it would be, except for like coincidental running when I've had to run somewhere. So like I haven't done enough fitness. That's definitely not it. Um, I don't know if it's innately me. I think, I don't know, maybe it is actually. Maybe it is. Yeah, maybe it is just who I am. I do just like being happy. It's so much better than being sad um, or being unhappy. 
mum more than sad. Like I remember there was a time, uh, about a three-month period, where I lived with my mum and dad in my mid-20s and I was just so bored. I wasn't doing anything. I was, I was working at a job that I was like, eh, not the best job. And I was like, well, I'm not doing anything to make myself get yeah, myself out of this. So then I was like, I'll oh, just go and do something else, do something that I want to do. So I quit the job and I just uh, went and bought a bicycle. And there you go. So maybe yeah. maybe fitness does come into it. Uh, but no, I do think that maybe it is just innately me that I'm a happier person. I'm very happy to meet people as well. Yeah. Like I had someone with me on a tour on the weekend and they said to me, you're not at all what I thought you would be. And I was like, oh, why is that? And they're like, you're very approachable. And I was like, oh, thank you so much. Like, you know, I, I thought you might be a little bit, you know, uh, re- reclusive or I was like, but yeah, why? Yeah, like a mad creative. Yeah, yeah, no, like exactly. That. I think that's what she was yeah. picturing me as. And I was like, no, gosh, like I said to her, if you need any tips or anything, just let me know. Like I'll tell you whatever I know. Yeah. Uh, I feel like, I don't know. I think honestly, I think it is that you literally get one life to do what you can do. Mm. That's it. I think people are in a fake reality of believing that you get another chance after this. You you really don't. Like there's 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 no after this. In, well, I mean, if you believe in heaven, I guess you're going to go to heaven. Um, but you just get one chance. I just want to do as much as I can and like meet as many people as possible and leave as much behind as I can in the time that I'm here. I suppose that's what makes me happy is the thought that I'm doing that. Mm. That's, yeah, that, that makes, you know, it makes me peaceful. That's what it is. Yeah. yeah it makes me, I, th- I, th- I suppose it's very similar to, you and James, you guys are doing exactly what you want to do at the moment. And mm. that's, for me, that's, what else could you want to be doing? You know, like, yeah. I, f- I feel like when you see people who are doing it the right way and they're just, you can tell when you meet somebody who's doing exactly what they want to be doing as opposed to someone who's doing something that they have to be doing. Yeah. And I think you can, you get the gist when you meet somebody, which one they are. Mm. And I just want to always be the one that's doing what I want to be doing. And that's pretty much what I've always done is whatever I've wanted to do. I got judged a lot when I traveled for a long time. I had a lot of uh, family because I'm a big Italian family. I had a lot of family members say to me, when are you going to settle down and make some money and find a girl, marry her and have kids? God, I had that so much in my early 30s. And I'd always just say, I'm right, I've got this. Don't worry about it, I've got this. And funnily enough, no one, none of them say it anymore. You know, mm. They're all very happy for where I am now. But I feel like, you know, if you're not doing what you want to do, then you're not really living the life that you could be living. Mm. Yeah. What do you think? <laughs> what do I think? Yeah. Yeah, look, I agree. I mean, I think it comes from a place of privilege, doesn't it, that we're able to make those choices. But I also think within whatever means you have, big or small, in whatever country you're living in, whatever life you're, you know, whatever your life looks like, you can definitely make choices within that to choose to live in a way that is stretching you and that you're excited about. And I mean, I, I taught in um, Tanzania for a long time and there were, you know, people doing it tough in all kinds of situations, living in huts in these big families. And, you know, you'd meet some people who had just sort of this incredible light and buzz about their life. And it might be they're growing their tomatoes and they've got their cow in their front garden and that's that's their world and but they would take so much pride in the way they did their hair and their the women with their clothes and their headscarves and chatting to like the um you know people who ran the stall in the local street and their little businesses would be thriving from in within their community and it doesn't matter that it's not the size of a corporation it's 
building a life within your life that you love exactly. for you. And you can do that visually. It doesn't take money necessarily. And conversely, I met people in those in that village who were miserable and had a really tough life and a lot of things that happened to them, but they'd kind of got stuck yeah. as well in a mindset. And you can't blame them for that because lot really, really tough stuff happens to people and people come from all kinds of backgrounds with, you know, like your friend Luke, yeah. you know, and there's addiction and there's all kinds of horrible things. But the difference is, I think, what you then decide to do with the one life that you've got. You yeah, know? absolutely. Um, the, the converse of it is that I think we can, if you're not making those choices yet and you're stuck, not to get down on yourself and get um, self-critical and like, oh, well, I'm, you know, there's, I'm, there's something wrong with me because I can't take that leap. It's not about that either. No. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah, and and living outwardly in giving the gifts of, that you have outwardly to others, rather than my dad used to say, rather than staring at your belly button. Yeah, you know? yes, that's a good way of putting it. Absolutely. Yeah, I think a lot of us are kind of looking internally at our own lives and going, "Well, there's stuff wrong with me," or "What's wrong with me?" Rather than being like. What can I do with the time that I have to give outwardly of myself to the world in some way? Yes. That's, well, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that if we're talking especially about creatives, if you're a creative, there's never been a better time to be alive. Yeah. Like, my gosh. Like, imagine if I was trying to do what I'm doing 15 years ago. There's literally no way that I could do what I'm doing right now 15 years ago, people get very upset at Instagram mm. because of the uh, algorithm or Facebook. Facebook pretty much mm. dead for most people these days where I, I treasure them. Mm. They are without them. I, I, I'm not doing what I, what I love doing now. Um, there's no way I could reach 40,000 people on their morning commute, you know? No. And as, as a, I've had this conversation with a lot of a lot of creatives will come to my store and ask to have a sit down with a coffee or whatever and like chat about where they're going. And I always just say to them, and it's funny because it, you know it's why the the uh, just make the thing is you know <laughs> it's so true. Like it's just put it out there, you know, and don't be. I had one guy, a massive Instagram account, and he's like, I just can't post anymore. I'm so scared of the reaction I'm going to get. And I was like, and I'm not talking like he's got over 100,000 followers. Oh, my goodness. And I said to him, mate, you just need to post every single day that you can. And if you get, you know, because for him, a 1,000 likes would be a terrible result. Oh, my God. But that's a 1,000 people. That's exactly what I said to that him. On that. That's exactly right. <laughs> you, you made a 1,000 people on like somewhere around the world double tap their phone because they liked your photo. Yeah. Like I said, do you understand that? Like not many people get to do that and people wish they were in your position. And and because you've come from this time of Instagram where everything was, you know, free algorithm, you don't respect the position that you're in. And so that was about a year ago. And he's started posting a whole lot more now. He's in a much better headspace because he just, he didn't let the uh, social media side of things get him down. And I think that's what a lot of people do. They allow the social media side of things to really... Uh, as a, as a, any kind of creative to like get them down and they start blaming other people like Instagram or Facebook uh, or whoever, you know, insert mm. name here, um, for their results where really like your results are great in any other time in the world. Mm. 15 years ago, how would any photographer 
get their work out to that many people without being in a magazine. Yeah, and exactly. How many of the spots were there to be in a magazine? Very like in the yeah. world, maybe a thousand. Mm. And be, who's choosing that too? Who's it's, the gatekeeper? Yeah. Exactly. There's no gatekeeper anymore. No, uh, I know, I know. And so, if you're if you are a creative and you are in a bit of a, you know, a, a patch of like not being uh, inspired, which I totally understand, and I've totally mm. been there, can totally empathise with that situation. I, I would say you've just really got to put everything you've got out, and don't worry about the result at the end of the day. Because if you think it's your best, best work, work, then what mm. else can you do? Like that's that's the answer. I am like I I am not by any stretch of the imagination the best photographer in Melbourne or within the best twenty percent. <laughs> like I'm just not, and I understand that about myself. But I'm happy to put myself out there mm. to to have people who like it like it, and people who don't like it. You know what? They don't tell me they don't like it. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's not like yeah. it's not like I've got like if somebody if forty thousand people see a photo and one thousand like it and thirty nine thousand choose not to. It's not like thirty nine thousand they're telling me they didn't like it, but the one thousand are there yelling telling at me you. that they did. You know, like yeah, that's good enough for me. Like that's amazing. Oh, I love that. That's exactly right. I think that's what because my social media is very small, and I but I, I love your Instagram page. Oh, thank you. <laughs> well, look, I I do it for myself. Which sounds selfish, but I and then anyone who comments or likes, I just gives me joy because I think, thanks, mate. But you know, you know, I was so stuck a year ago in creativity. I'd never creativity. I'd never done anything of my own, and so really, other than um, I had with my my kids and with helping other people, but never something that was just mine. And so, it's I find joy in it. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest part of it, right? In your yeah. life, whatever your life looks like, find the thing that brings you joy. And if other people like it, great. And if they don't, oh, well. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Because you might not like what they do. Like it's not, it doesn't have yeah. a judgment on them. Exactly. People are always way too hard on themselves. Oh, God, that is so true. Like just far so too hard on themselves. Like I just accept that I'm not the best. Like, or anywhere near the best. And that makes everything a whole lot easier. Like, I look at some people's photos and I'm like, are you serious? How did you do that? I literally watched a guy's tutorial last night and I'm like, all right, I can't even do that. Like, mm. you could teach me that a million times and it's not in my skill set to do what he did with Photoshop because mm. um, I don't really use Photoshop. But I was like, I loved his creation. I was enamored with it. I was like, oh my gosh, that is just the most beautiful photo I'd seen in a long time. Mm. And... It's just about, I think if you can accept that you're uh, you're still a creative, you still have a lot of worth. And for some people, your photo that you don't even rate would be better than that guy's photo that you love. Mm. Then that's enough for me. You know, yeah. like I love bright colors and sunsets. And some people think it's just like, eh, but that's what I, that's what brings me joy is like yeah. bright, colorful sunsets. You get a great one. And you're just like, I'm just like so happy that I'm there to see it. I saw an amazing sunset the other night down at Princess Pier and mm. in, uh, in Melbourne. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so lucky to be here right now. Like what were the odds that this happened tonight? And I got this like really stupidly pretty photo. And I was like, I could put this up and everyone else might not like it, but it will never matter to me because this is the best photo that I've taken <laughs> in a long time. And, you know, I think, yeah, like creativeness and like putting your stuff out there, I think you just really need to not worry about the reaction as much if as long as whatever you put out is is your best in your mind mm. that should be enough mm. 
Okay, well, that's great advice. <laughs> and where can we find you? Oh, come to the corner of Burke and Swanson Street, see in me Melbourne. there. Yeah, come, okay. come and sit down and have a coffee with me and have a chat. And uh, I'm happy to always talk to everybody. And yeah, great. I love it there. And if you're, if you're on the other side of the world and you've never been to Melbourne, yep. how can we find your stuff? Uh, you can look on Instagram on Melbourne I Love You and on Facebook I run a page called Humans in Melbourne. Beautiful. Yep. Cool. And buy your books. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, wait for the next one. I've got another one coming out in, in July. Get that Wow. One. <laughs> you don't stop, do you? Fantastic. No, that's uh, that's cool. going to be the next one. So if you want to get your name in a book, Wait for July. Oh, you've heard it here first. Excellent. <laughs> Thanks so much. Thank you, Claire. Okay, bye. Bye. You've been listening to a podcast called Just Make the Thing with me, Claire Twenty, and this week with Chris Sincotta. You can find more from Chris on Instagram at Melbourne I Love You or Humans of Melbourne, and I'll put his website where you can find more information about his stall and his books and his walking tour in the show notes below. For more interviews just like this one, I would totally recommend subscribing in Apple Podcasts. You can scroll back in your feed and find interviews with the incredible singer-songwriter Claire Bowditch, with Brado Couturier, Anthony Montesano. Um, you can listen to Will Anderson talk about his comedy career and about how he makes things. Jamila Rizvi, who's written some incredible books. Claire James, who's a painter and artist. Um, there's something for everyone. So scroll back in your feed if you are looking for inspiration to make your thing. And if you're struggling out there to give it a go, you're battling the beast in the middle of it. I wanted to tell you something just about what's happening for me this week. It's Valentine's Day today as well, so happy Valentine's Day. I felt this week that I just could not do this podcast anymore and I couldn't do any of the things that I needed to do and I just felt like a total and utter disaster, failure, walking around person. And I felt every time I looked at Instagram or Facebook or spoke to someone that everybody else seemed to have it together and I didn't. And I know that's not true. I've written about how that's not true. I know that Instagram and social media is the filter through, you know, that everyone uses for their life to make their lives look better. But I still fell for it, especially this week when things were hard and, you know, kids were sick and husband man's got other things going on too and our studio's being built out the back and just lots of things happening with my health too, just just things on top of things. And if you're someone out there who's got things on top of things as well, I just wanted to remind you that life is hard, but there's always something to be joyful about. And you just have to stick it out because I kept sticking to it. And then I was surprised and I got to talk to someone like Chris and I learned so much about joy. And so the universe often gives you what you need if you just hang in there and keep trying. So keep trying. Don't worry if it's not perfect or great or how you imagined. It will get better. That saying that it's darkest before the dawn is absolutely true. So just hang in there and wait again for the magic because what I've learned in my 33 years is that the magic always comes back around as long as we have our head down and work. So 
do the work and you'll find the magic. Okay, enough from me. Till next week. Bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.